Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Growing Self-Awareness, Build Better Relationships and Improve Your Life. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 372. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and we are going to have some fun today. I am speaking with a creative strategist in play, learning, and technology. She has an extensive career in evaluating, selecting, and writing about how, why, and with what people play. And she's the co-founder of Sandbox Summit at MIT, an idea forum exploring the way kids play, learn, and connect. She is based right here in New York City. Welcome to the show, Wendy Smolin. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm just so glad that you could join me. And I know we're going to have a fun conversation. But before we jump in to any questions, I'd love it if you could just kind of introduce yourself to our listeners. Okay, here's my story. I'm a player. I express myself basically by telling stories. And storytelling is really about playing. It's imagination, it's role-playing, it's emotional expression, and it's so many other things all at once. So I started out as a copywriter, working in fashion stores and then in major cosmetic companies. Basically, I was selling dreams. Wear this and feel this way. You can be beautiful and powerful and happy. I'm a word nerd. So I played with words to create moods and feelings. And then I started having kids. And I felt like, well, I'll never get dressed up again, and I'm certainly never going to wear makeup again. So fashion and cosmetics were out. So I naturally skewed into writing things for and about kids. And the abridged version of this is I wrote a book about activities to play with kids of different ages. Parents Magazine picked it up hired me to be their first lifestyle editor, and things took off from there. I became a toy maven, and I combined my knowledge from the parenting experts at the magazine, myself as a parent at that point, an editor, and also a consumer. So I'd go to all the toy fairs and find great products. I'd organize focus groups, and I'd use my kids and their friends. I was basically Tom Hanks in Big. For a living. That's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, and and I just, I mean, unfortunately, I didn't have the piano, but, you know, it was was fun. Can't have everything. Yeah. Now, Now, fast forward 15 years, and then suddenly magazines were dead. Mm. So I took all my contacts and my knowledge and my friends, and I co founded an idea at MIT on the intersection of play, learning, and technology. And that was Sandbox Summit. So again, what I was doing is I was telling stories, but I was telling them collaboratively. I gathered all types of people together, marketers, toy inventors, educators, media, tech stars, and I let them talk and collaborate and play. And basically, I wanted to see what kind of new ideas would emerge. So I did this for over eight years. And each conference got was like really more exciting than the last. But suddenly, 
I realized it was time for me to boom forward. So for the last seven years, I've been a consultant helping companies find the fun and the future in what they do. And I focus mostly on toys, tech, and learning, but I've also worked with nonprofits centered on mental wellness, on startups in gaming, in fashion places, and in consumer products. And my work combines play and learning with real life. I call it hands-on as well as virtual experiences, high-tech and high-touch, because that's the world that we now live in. So the bottom line, I encourage people to play. Well, that is just a beautiful introduction. And you tell your story so succinctly, but I can really hear the natural journey that you've been on and all of the changes that you've been able to see and experience over the course of that time from who was able to employ you because of you know the industries that, that maybe have changed since then to how kids played when your kids were young versus the way that you're seeing kids play now versus the way you know, adults can play. And it's just such a, such an interesting field to be in for a long period of time. Yeah. I mean, play has changed. There are some things like a ball or a stick, you know, that are always going to be playful, but the environment in which we play has changed. Absolutely. So I want to start with a question because people are listening to a podcast called Let's Talk Sales. And then we're talking about play. And that might be a little bit confusing for people. So we're going to start with the biggest, broadest, most basic question of all. What is play? Okay, I'm going to say this, and I'll say it now, and I'll probably say it like five more times during this podcast. So just tell me to shut up if I say it too much. But play makes anything possible. And play isn't the opposite of work. That's what people usually say. In fact, um, the famous psychologist Jean Piaget said, play is the work of childhood. Play helps kids and kids of all ages. So it could be you and me too. Explore and discover the world in a safe environment. It teaches you the skills you need for cognitive, social, and physical development. It's a way to learn. And this is ironic because when you think about it, recess the enforced playtime in schools. Mm-hmm. It's usually the first activity to be cut by budgets. But play is exciting. It's like dessert, and we all want it. Absolutely. And I think that last thing that you just said, you know, we want play. But I know you have been able to identify some of the key values of play and why it might not just be something that we want, but it's actually something that we need. Why is it that we need play? Okay, if you take anybody who's bought toys lately, you look at the package and these are the benefits that the experts call out. They're the skills that play teaches. There's physical, emotional, social, cognitive, creative, and communication. It's these six skills. But now look at the skills from an adult advantage. Physical play. It staves off some of the preventable diseases like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity. There's a real benefit to that. Emotional play, it improves your mood. Social, it reduces anxiety and stress, and it helps you understand other people's roles. Cognitive, 
It boosts your memory. It focuses your attention. When you're playing a game, you're into it. Creative play, it encourages new ideas. It helps you think outside the box. And communication, by exchanging thoughts and ideas, it encourages inclusiveness and acceptance. And this, especially in today's working environment, is really important. I really just love that simple summary. And as soon as you started explaining it, you know, we think of these things. I've got 15 nieces and nephews. So I have bought many, many toys over the years. No kids of my own, but um, I've got, <laughs> I've got quite a few in my life. And it is interesting to see that change in that toys now, so many of them, they feel they have to position themselves almost as providing some level of educational or, or physical or, or various other development opportunity because I don't know, it's like the ven- the manufacturers think that that's what's required in order for people to buy them. And there isn't anything that we, that we want to improve in those areas for, for children that we don't care about for ourselves. <laughs> you know, um, kids need creativity. Adults need creativity. Kids need to be physically fit and able to do things. Same with adults. And I, what I'm hearing though is we're using the word play. And a word I often hear, especially in a business context, is gamification. And I wonder how do you relate the advances that have been made in things and the, the gamification of just about everything <laughs> um, with the idea of play? Is it the same thing? It's a great question because all gamification is play, but not all play is gamification. Games in general hold our attention. When you play a game like Wordle or Sudoku or even Candy Crush, it's gamification. It involves points, rewards, incentives. It drives engagement. But you can also use games or other forms to create better products, to promote teamwork, creativity, and to make employees happier. I'm a fan, I think, of for sales. Gamification is... I mean, it's been used forever. Even before people knew it was called gamification, it basically turns your tasks into fun. Absolutely. You see um, how many sales teams might have on the wall, you know, a picture of a mountain range or something. And as they hit their target, the little climber climbs the mountain. And it's it's not like the most silly, (laughs) um, active, engaging sort of play, but it is something that it's fun when you're watching the little climber climb the mountain. And if that's representing success of the business, if that's representing success of the team and and growth and and new sales, that's a great way to have it be a visual representation, you know, thermometer scale and seeing it fill in with a color. So many different ways. It's a no brainer in sales. I mean, you know, contests, giveaways, the leaderboards, using elements like competition, points, challenges, you know, going through different levels. I, I mean, they incentivize the participants. They, they really engage you. And some of the other payoffs are when you use gamification, you get learning faster and you get a higher retention and training. Um, mm-hmm. And higher morale. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to go back because you had mentioned the, you know, a lot of benefits when it comes to things like creativity and reducing anxiety and other things. 
And what I think I'm kind of hearing from you is that's where not all play is gamification. Because to me, a lot of the kinds of play that result in creative off-the-wall ideas (laughs) and are really, really relaxing and beneficial in a significant way, a lot of times those are the kinds of play that maybe aren't gamified so that it almost creates an opportunity for it to be more relaxing, more just kind of unselfconsciously fun. Is that, does that make sense to you? Is that a valid perspective? Yeah, definitely. In fact, I, not to get nerdy here, but um, <laughs> I just read this report that one of the most important neuroscientific discoveries of our lifetime concerns the brain's default mode. So it was found that when the brain is resting, like it's not engaging in a specific task or, you know, doing what you're supposed to be doing at work, um, instead of powering down, certain parts of the brain would light up, suggesting vibrant activity, which was imagining or planning or, in other words, daydreaming. So daydreaming allows us to discover and learn about things that don't exist. And in essence, it's imagination and creativity. So at work, ways that leaders can facilitate opportunities for to daydream would be maybe something as simple as having a quiet space to relax, to get away from the hustle. And it just gives your employees and your whole team just a safe place. Absolutely. Because as I think about how honestly addictive <laughs> so many so many things that have been gamified are, you know, when I have a free moment, I'm very likely to pull out my phone and open some silly phone game and start playing it. And it's fun in one way. But what I think a lot of us have been realizing over the last few years is time to just daydream, to let your mind wander, to just think is so difficult to find. And you hear so many people say, you know, I had a great idea in the shower. And I was like, you probably weren't playing on your phone in the shower. <laughs> and and I have a lot of friends who've gotten into a habit of taking walks without their phone or with their phone, you know, turned to silent and not in their hand, it's in their bag or something. And they're just focused on looking at the world around them and 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 thinking. It's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I mean we're we're not used to doing that, but it's really important. And at work, I mean it's a it's a really unique thing for a cult a work culture to build that in. Absolutely, and yet when we look at the job descriptions and you look at the expectations that are had of people in a lot of senior roles. We want them to come up with ideas. We want them to come up with creative solutions for problems and challenges. And if they're constantly busy running around, always doing things, always having a task, there's not really that time to come up with creative solutions. And I feel like so often we're really setting ourselves and our, you know, employees, our teams for failure because we think if you see somebody relaxing on the couch that they should almost get in trouble. You know, it doesn't look like they're doing their job. It doesn't look like they're busy, but actually they might be coming up with the next world-changing opportunity that you you never even thought about. 
I think uh, it also think back a couple of years ago when open offices became a thing, it encouraged collaboration. I mean, it was, you know, mind boggling that you suddenly weren't sitting by yourself. You actually talked to people. You know, and looking back now after the pandemic, that was one of the things people missed the most was the interaction. Um, those are really important things to build into your culture. Absolutely. And there's, you think about how all of these tech companies, especially, it's become kind of a cliche almost. You go to their offices somewhere in Silicon Valley and they've got pool tables and, and, you know, all kinds of crazy games and, and other fun things in the office. And there's one element of that that I'm sure is somewhat selfish in that they want the employees to stay in the office and have everything that you might want to do in the office so you don't leave. But there is also a real benefit to creating those those spaces for play. I think of, um, I was just on site with a client um, at their kind of annual kickoff meeting in Atlanta a couple weeks ago. And they had as a part of the agenda, fortunately, so often you see, you know, you put together an agenda for a meeting, and it's just content, content, content here, we've got to train you on this product, we've got to, we've got to introduce these new features, we've got to brainstorm, we've got to do a competitive battle card, you know, all this other stuff, when you get together as a team. And I think the most fun parts of it were all of the parts completely outside that. You know, we, one day we went out to uh, a lounge and, and there was bowling and live music. Another day we went out to dinner, but we all walked as a group over and we're talking as we, as we walked. And I think more relationships got built. We got to know each other better. We got so much more value from those activities than some of the very nice, very high quality, you know, sessions of training at the event. And it's a really different, it's a really different thing. Let me ask a question about that. Was 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 everybody on the same, I guess team isn't the right word, but was everybody a marketer or were there marketers and salespeople and, you know, product development and HR? Were they from different groups? Absolutely. Great question. Yes, it was all different groups that were represented. This is how I, when I first started Sandbox Summit, that was my idea, is like to put all these different people who don't normally speak to each other. Yes. Together, because everybody brings something different to the table. And our first conferences, we couldn't afford, we, you know, we filled it with content and stuff, but we really couldn't afford like a lot of, you know, extras. And so we had like sandwiches on the floor that people had to like eat with, you know, standing up next to someone. And we found that it was during those breaks that that's when a lot of the ideas would combust. And as we went forward, we built more and more time in for networking like that. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes it's viewed, again, as it's a nice to have. It's a, yeah, yeah, people want to network. They want to meet people. But, you know, there's we, we need to get this training done. We need to have this this very structured conversation. And it's it's really reducing and really dismissing the value that comes in those conversations and just the the random connections that happen. I've probably told this story on the podcast before, but we had one client years ago and they created in, this was before Slack, um, but they created basically a forum topic that all new hires 
of the team had to introduce themselves and post about something they were passionate about. And it could be anything, you know. So some people were talking about how they coached their kids' soccer team. And then you'd get somebody else, completely different team, completely different office, different regions, say, I coach my kids' soccer team. And they they could bond over that. They could exchange strategies. They could get to know each other. The thread that drew, I am not exaggerating when I say three plus years of ongoing discussion with somebody said her passion was boy bands. And everybody else who had ever liked a boy band, which was, you know, a decent number of us, decided we were going to jump in on that conversation. <laughs> and it was silly. And it was... It was just not something that you, that you would have thought from some of the people who are participating in that conversation. <laughs> and it, it built relationships and it really created such a fun, such a fun topic of conversation and, and way to connect with people. And it was, I mean, it's not play in one sense, but it was just silliness. It was just extra just for, just for fun, you know, just for relationships, not for anything specific to the business. And it really drove so much benefit that you can't really measure, but you could definitely experience. Yeah, I I believe that. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, kinds of play and the value of play. But I think what our what listeners might be wondering is, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, play. I, I get it. I should play more. How can adults really foster and cultivate play in their lives? Because I do think, unfortunately, once we are adults, <laughs> sometimes we're getting an explicit message that that's childish and that we shouldn't do it. But also it, it can be difficult to find the time and to find opportunities for play. So what, what are things that adults can do to foster play? Another great question. I mean, think about this. Kids are born knowing how to play. They play with their feet. They play with their hands. They play with their eyes. Uh, adults are programmed not to play. It's like, um, so we sort of have to consciously plan for it. Um, one of the things is smile when you talk. When you're on the phone, I mean, if I, I'm going to say something to you, you obviously can't see me, and you, you tell me when I'm smiling. Am I smiling when I'm talking to you now, or am I smiling when I'm talking to you now? <laughs> it's amazing the difference in that second half. Yeah, and when you're happy, people you're talking to are happy. And it, and it, it's just, it builds. Absolutely. Take play breaks. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Pomodoro method of work. Um, mm -hmm. So I do this all the time. They're deliberate breaks. You set a timer, you say, okay, I'm going to work for 25 minutes and then I'm going to take a 10 minute break. And during that break, I'm not working. I walk the dog. I eat a cookie. I, I do something fun and different, but it lightens me. And it's a really great way to work and just sort of not take yourself quite so seriously, even if you're doing something really serious into your work. Team building, get on a pickleball team, do yoga, um, do surprises. I, I worked for a company once um, that used to come on your birthday, you'd walk into your office and there would be a surprise package of, get, of products on your desk. It, it just, it was so much fun. Like you couldn't wait, you know, like what's going to happen today? It's not necessarily play, but it's playful. Mm -hmm. Again, you, you know, the, the thing that you talked about where your friends turn off their phone, you know, use the unscheduled time to daydream and reflect. Um, 
try new things. You know, I was in Trader Joe's the other day and I saw bok choy and I thought, yeah, I know what that is. I have it in Chinese too, but I'm going to buy it and let me see if I can figure out how to make it. <laughs> Just kind of push yourself a little bit, you know, try a new language uh, or make mental connections. Like, how can I use this? I do this all the time. Like, I have a towel, for example. Okay, how can I use it? I use it to dry myself. What else could I use this for? You know, just play those games with yourself. And probably one of the most important things is spend time with kids in your life. You know, look at how they play. Listen to what their conversations are. You know, follow their train of thought. I mean, I think learning from kids is probably the best way to cultivate play in your own life. Absolutely. When I think of the things that as a kid I loved to do and and spent time in, I found that that can be a great way to think about how I can do that as an adult. I do think that's why when we look at the rise of things like adult coloring books over the last few years, that's really become a thing. People are th- people thought, you know, when I was a kid, I could just sit there and color. And it was fun and it was relaxing. And I know there are apps on your phone because I have a few color by number apps, but there is something about actually coloring a picture. And there's there's just so many different opportunities. There was a gift that one of my nieces got for Christmas a couple of years ago that's diamond art. And I wasn't familiar with it, but it's oh. these little jewels that stick on. Yeah, It's like paint by number jewels. Uh-huh. And it looked like so much fun. And then come to find out, they're adult diamond art kits, and I got one for Christmas this year. I hope they're real diamonds. Oh, that would be nice. I was like, it, it, I don't think they should be able to call themselves diamond art if they're the cheap crystals. But you know, also considering I've seen them spilled all over the floor and probably eaten by a dog and everything, be a little stressful if they were valuable. <laughs> but you know, even just um, with all of my nieces and nephews, I have given so many so many, so many Lego sets as gifts. And when I think of what you said earlier about the benefits and the value of play, toys like Legos, like art kits, I think are so many of those benefits. Uh, They provide so many of them at the same time, because maybe you're doing something with your hands and you're thinking and creating either following instructions and learning how to follow instructions to make a specific thing or being able to just look at a whole bucket of Legos and say, I'm going to build a house. I'm going to build a baseball stadium. I'm going to build a dinosaur (laughs) and figuring out how to do that. Yeah. That's one of the wonderful things about Lego is that it's open-ended if you want it to be. Absolutely. And I think of times when maybe I've gotten a set or a kit for one of my nieces and nephews, and it was just a little bit more advanced and they needed help with it. And being able to sit and play with a kid and help them, you know, translate the instructions, read the, reading them and saying, you know, can you find the piece that looks like this? And you're seeing them learn and grow. And it's just so much fun quality time together. For Christmas this year, I actually asked for and got two different adult Lego sets. Um, one of them is a, a little succulent plants and another one is an orchid. And I sat down the first day that I got back from visiting my family over the holidays and 
I just put together my succulents. I'm saving the orchid. I have a project I need to do. And it's going to be my reward and my prize for myself after well, I finish like that this project. Place, like dessert. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yep. Yep. And it's just amazing how calming it can be and how fun. <laughs> and it's just so, so strange. Yeah. It takes you out. It takes you into your own little world. Yeah. Yeah. And you think about as a kid, literally, you could spend every waking hour playing. And some of us, I think we're lucky enough to have a lot of unstructured time to play. I know a lot of kids now have have activities all the time. But I mean, when I think of summer break, literally wake up and eat breakfast and go outside and play and maybe come in for lunch and then go outside and play or play inside and just play nonstop. And then as an adult, we feel like it has to be, I must schedule time to do this specific activity. And it's nice to just make time if you can to play. I do think that's where when you said, if you've got kids, they'll pull you into it even if you don't want to. I just read a book that was fabulous. I, and I pulled it out, pulled out a quote because in anticipation of this, but the book was called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by um, Gabrielle Zevin. And it's really about two people, two friends who make games for a living beginning in the 1990s. And sadly, they grow up and they grow apart and they start living real lives. Um, but they meet again and they talk about both of them. It went through mutual depressions and all and, uh, several tragedies and experiences that made them grow up and they and grew apart. And one says to the other, work helps, games help. But sometimes when I'm really low, I keep a particular image in my mind. What is it? I imagine people playing. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's one of our games, but sometimes it's any game. The thing I find profoundly hopeful when I'm feeling despair is to imagine people playing to believe that no matter how bad the world gets, there will always be players. That is beautiful. I love going into Central Park and um, going to one of the playgrounds. And if there are kids that are playing, I don't get in the way, but sometimes I just hang out by there. Even if I'm reading a book, just hearing the kids kind of laughing and screaming and, and all of the energy that they provide. If the swing set is not occupied. I will be on the swing set because there is nothing quite like just swinging over the trees of Central Park. And it, it always makes me feel like I'm kind of nine years old again, but also just an incredibly, incredibly joyful thing to be able to do. Yeah. We've touched on this a little bit, but I did want to hone in again on a really specific thing, which is within teams, within organizations, what are some best practices or tips that you might have for leaders who want to encourage and create space for play in their teams. We've given a couple already. I don't know if you have any more. Yeah. Um, I, again, I would, I mean, I would go back to the, you know, create a safe space, you know, acquire the surprise element, encourage team activities, um, and introduce gamification, um, scavenger hunts, trivia quizzes. I know my daughter who works for a consulting company every morning, she plays Wordle with her team mm-hmm. and schedule play days, which may combine all of the above, or it could be an offsite conference, or it could just be a few hours, but encourage people to play. And I think as a leader, a leader should be playful. So I think that's probably 
the number one thing because they're setting the tone. Absolutely. That's definitely something that we'll see sometimes. An organization might put together some sort of, you know, team building event and there's a silly aspect to it. And if the leader goes first, if the leader is willing to be seen doing something absolutely ridiculous and potentially failing, you're going to see everybody else participate. But what you don't want is to just sit back and, and act all dignified and dress all nice. Just be like, all right, you guys go and do the thing. Nobody, they're all going to feel embarrassed and feel like maybe it's not appropriate. I'm going to be judged. And then you're not getting the benefit of it. And it's really not a great experience for anybody. Yeah. All right. The question I always like to ask our guests is, what trends are you keeping an eye on? The first one, uh, I mean, obviously, phones. I mean, our phones are, you know, our biggest toy. But the one that everybody's talking about right now is chat, the chat GPT. It's the integration of real life and virtual play. It's using AI. It began, uh, I mean, like years ago in with the J- Jumanji game, which was a Hasbro game, and it was made into videos and movies. And even now on HBO, they have The Last of Us, which is a video game in HBO. The Metaverse, don't ask me what it is, but I, but it's a big thing. I, I mean, it's the <laughs> ultimate integration of community and embracing all that we know about virtual content and experience. But Chat GPT. I mean, you can't pick up a newspaper or hear something without, you know, look what's what's new with that. Yes, it writes college term papers, but it also writes songs and screenplays and stories. This morning, I just read something really interesting that Giant Spoon, which is an ad agency, announced it using the chat GPT to generate their Super Bowl reaction content on Sunday. They're not doing this to say, oh, you know, here's, let's see what the reaction is, but it's to showcase their own creativity. Absolutely. You know, Google now stepped in. Unfortunately, their bard made a factual mistake today and yesterday and lost $8 billion in value, but everybody's getting into it. AI is going to be one of the biggest trends. Um, I would say a third of the employees, um, according to any kind of research, use AI at work. You know, search behavior is definitely changing. TikTok, Instagram, we're going to see more and more about that. Um, I would keep an eye on your chat. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. And it's, as you said, there are the obvious ways that new technologies and new tools are used, but it is the creative and interesting ones that get the attention and that really can be world changing. And I think that goes back to something we were talking about earlier. If you want to have creative ideas, if you want to create space in your, in your team, in your organization for creativity, make sure you create space for play and space for brainstorming and reflection and daydreaming because that's where a lot of these creative ideas are going to come out of. That's true. You said it better than I did. 
<laughs> All right. What resources do you have that you would recommend that our listeners check out? It can be um, places that you go to consistently because you always find great information or um, just places that you might have discovered something interesting um, recently. The Toy Association. I, I'm an ambassador of play for them and they have a fabulous website, geniusofplay.org, which has great ideas about play. Toy Insider, Fast Company. They always have interesting ideas about what's happening trend-wise, what's happening in the world. Um, Smart Brief on Workforce, MIT Technology Review, um, Kickstarter. Um, I belong to a group called Hatch, and it's basically a diverse group of creative geniuses, and they inspire me to think differently every day. Um, you can look them up on the hatchexperience.org podcasts, not only yours, but I listen to podcasts usually when I'm, I'm on the, in the indoor cycle. This morning, I listened to the Happiness Lab podcast. Oh, I love that one. One of my favorites. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, different. I, I kind of, whatever I'm in the mood for, I just sort of experiment. And obviously, your own kids. That's always my biggest resource. I mean, my kids are now grown, but next week I'm going into the high school and looking at um, an AP literature class that is developing a game based on a, uh, based on a book. That's I amazing. I will get more of it out of it than they will because I'd love to see how they think. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime I, I get to spend time with kids, whether it's ones I'm related to or others, it's just the things that come out of their mouths and out of their brains. And you realize how stuck in your mold you can be when you see the things that they put together. Yeah. So it's it's a great reminder. All right, Wendy, I know there are going to be a lot of listeners who want to learn more about you, more about your work. Where can they find you? I have a website, wendysmolin.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Or they can email me directly. It's W, the number two, Smolen, S-M-O-L-E-N, at gmail.com. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much for joining me today, Wendy. I've had so much fun in our conversation. I hope you have as well. I have. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod372. If you enjoyed the show, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure you do that on whatever platform it is that you're listening. You can subscribe for free on any platform of your choice. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us if you've got any direct feedback, questions, or guests that we should be talking to. Podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. What are you doing to enable buying today?